0: Hello everyone, welcome to Sabbath School Gems, where each week we showcase key concepts from this week's Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School lesson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sabbath School Gems. This is Lesson 6 for the fourth quarter for 2021 for Sabbath, November 6th, and it's titled For What Nation Is There So Great? And it's from the quarterly Present Truth in Deuteronomy. And there's a lot to get to in here, so I'm going to try to go through it, and I'm going to go through it in the order that's in the, the quarterly. It starts out with Moses addressing the people. So this is Deuteronomy 4, 8, and it says, And what nation is so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law? That's Torah, which I set before you this day. And that's the memory verse, but right before that is a statement That goes like this in in verse 7. It says, For what great nation is there that God is so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him? And I think that's really important to point that out because it's the before the law, before the talk about the law and the righteous and the judgments, is this idea that God is near to them. Because remember, I had talked about this in a previous Gems, about the triplet pattern and... I even got some feedback that maybe I kind of ran that too too long talking about that. But I really think that pattern shows up, especially many places in Deuteronomy, sometimes even within the same chapter. And it's that pattern that we talked about of it starting with the Lord saying, See what I have done for you. Acknowledge my love. See if 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 it's a, a man proposing to a wife, it's you know, see this diamond ring as a token of all the good things that i want to give you that this is just a token of it and then it's followed by the next one which i call b and that's the invitation the and will you enter into this covenant with me will you make me your one and only god and and enter into this covenant and then there's c which is talks about obeying and following the the laws and i will Instruct you, and I'll, and 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 you will respect me and obey me. It's kind of a natural outflow of that. So we see the same kind of pattern because it's talking about the God that's near to them, and then it's look at what a great nation that has these statutes and judgments. So I see it as kind of a similar pattern, and this pattern is all throughout Deuteronomy. So later on in this chapter, in verses 12 through 14, it's the same pattern. In verse 12, it says, And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form, only a voice. Well, they didn't see the form because nobody could see God. I mean, even when he showed his glory to Moses, he had to hide him in the cleft of the rock. So, yes, they didn't see his form, but they heard it. And it says... And they lived through it because in Deuteronomy 4.33, it says, did any people ever see the voice of God speak out of the midst of the fire as you have and lived? You see, what God is saying is, look, I spoke to you. I spoke to you and protected you because he was protecting them so that they lived. He's showing, look, I want to get close to you. And then in verse 13, it says, so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tables of stone. Now, this text is a little bit confusing. We have to go look at it. It says, he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you. That word commanded is not a good word, I think. It's really he charged you. It's, it's like he charged you to enter into this relationship. You know, it says commanded to perform. That sounds like, you know, you're dictating that this monkey perform a certain thing. But it's really more of he charged you he he asked you he's making this proposal to enter into this covenant and then he it says and then the ten commandments and he wrote them on two tables of stone well that word two commandment is not in there it's the ten dabar it's the ten words it's it's actually words or spoken matters but it's really words of the covenant so that's that ten words of the covenant Now, we don't really know what's written on those tables of stone. And I know some people think that they know exactly what's written on it. But the fact is we don't have those tables of stone today. And they could be 10 literal words on there as far as we know. And I know, you know, Ellen White saw visions of it and things. And that's fine. If you want to believe that you know exactly what's on those tables of stone, that's fine. But it's still whatever's on there is not a list of items you have to do, like a tit for tat. It is it is the covenant. It's the 10 words of the covenant, whatever that is. Maybe, you know, you follow me and make me your one and only God and I will be a God to you. And, you know, it's kind of like in a marriage, I guess it would be, you know, you say your vows, you say, yes, I will take this person to be my lawfully wedded spouse for the rest of my life or whatever. And, and so it's kind of like that. It's like, that's just the very beginning. That's just the the vows, you know. And so I think that's how I view that those 10 words. So what he's really saying is, he declared to you his covenant, which he invited you to enter into with him. And he wrote it on these tables of stone. And then the last one in verse 14, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you go over to possess. And this is kind of like the marriage now. Now you're living with the person, you're getting to know them and you're pleasing them and every day you're waking up, how can I please them? And God is giving us good things and we're listening to him and doing what he wants. And so... That's what that is with the statutes and the judgments. So I think this whole passage is not what the lesson says. It says, so now Israel, because of what I have done for you, you must obey the following. And that just sounds misleading because it sounds like, look at what I did for you. So now you owe me, you have to obey me. And I mean, if a man said that to me, And said, look it, I got you this diamond ring, I did these things, and now you have to marry me. Um, I think a woman would be running far the other way, because I don't think that's how it goes. I think it really is God saying... You know, look at all these beautiful, wonderful things that I want to do for you. Look at the things I've already done for you. When you enter in this covenant relationship, it means that I'm going to be your only God. You're going to listen to me. You're not going to listen to anybody or any other God. And you're going to be listening to me and I'm going to be teaching you statutes and judgments and you're going to be doing them lovingly and willingly do them. So now on Sunday, it goes into the do not add or take away. And that comes from verse 2 of chapter 4 in Deuteronomy. It says, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you. You know, there's reasons we can think of for not wanting to alter them. I mean, Deuteronomy 4.1, just the verse right before, says, now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live. So, I mean, these are life-giving instructions. These aren't just some suggestions. In Psalm 19, it says, the law, the Torah of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The commandment, the mitzvah of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So you can see how these commandments that God are giving are are life-giving. They're defining how his universe operates. And if we work within that, we're going to, have his blessing and his protection because we're living in alignment with how his universe was made. It's not to me when it says don't add or take from it that it's this complete checklist. I mean, we know that. We know like it doesn't say do not smoke cigarettes or do not take drugs or things like that. It's not It's not intended to be a checklist. In fact, just the fact that it's saying don't take from it or don't add to it, it's really proving that it isn't a checklist it wasn't meant to be a checklist what it is meant to be is instructions straight from God I mean that's what it is you don't change or alter instructions from God he says what he says I mean he told Abraham to leave his home and he left he told Noah to build the ark and he built it and he gave him the instructions and he followed it with the detail and, you know, we n- can see this better today than I think they could see it back then. Because just think if they're hearing this, you shall not add to it or subtract it. And, you know, they're thinking, well, what does that mean? But we can look back in history. We can see exactly what happened. That was the problem that was in Christ's day. There was just a corruption of the law of God. You know, in Matthew fifteen 3 it says, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. (laughs) And then Jesus replies and he says, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? And that's exactly what they were doing, not just in this occasion. There's so many occasions where Jesus was trying to show them that you're not keeping God's law. You're not in alignment with God. You're not listening to him. You have all your traditions. You've taken his law and you've turned it into what you think it means. You've made it become a burden to others, and you don't really understand the concept of being in a covenant relationship with God. And I think Jesus was trying to bring that to them, that it's they thought that they could just follow this checklist that they invented, all these rules and laws that they made, that they twisted, and that somehow that was going to bring them close to God, and that's just not how it works. And, you know, I like the text that's in the lesson study from Ellen White from Selected Messages, Book 2, page 107. It says, Satan has been persevering and untiring in his efforts to prosecute the work he began in heaven to change the law of God. He has succeeded in making the, the world believe, that theory he presented in heaven before his fall, that the law of God was faulty and needed revising. A large part of the professed Christian church, by their attitude, if not by their words, show that they have accepted the same error. And we can see that that's really Satan's method. He likes to distort and destroy and alter. He can't create, but he can twist things. And so he doesn't just throw everything out, but he transforms it and morphs it into something different. And we can see that even with the Jews today. Even the most serious and observant Jews, they often don't know what the Bible says versus what their tradition says. And even if they do, they don't always understand how to weigh them differently. When God said something, I mean, it can be interpreted different ways, but it shouldn't be given the same weight as some rabbi's interpretation of it. And there are a lot of traditions, a lot of things, just like some of their holidays. If you live in the United States, let's say, and you don't live in Israel— you might have to keep two days. You know, maybe they don't know exactly when it starts or you're keeping the day for Israel and here. I don't know uh, the exact justification for all of them, but a lot of times a, a one-day holiday will turn into a two-day holiday. And, you know, that's just not in the Bible. You know, it might seem like a little thing. Well, you're just keeping two Sabbath days in a row instead of one, but when you start altering things like that, it does make a big deal. And, you know, it can turn the things that God gave us into burdens just by altering them slightly. And so we can see that that's the danger of adding to or subtracting from God's law. And then there's, there's the other extreme where people just say, well, all the things that he said, well, that's just all done away with. Well, we can keep certain things, but they just throw it all out. So There's both extremes, adding to it and taking away from it. Going on to Monday, that incident at Baal Peor, and that's in Deuteronomy 4, 3, and 4. And it says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. So what happened there? Well, Satan uses our weakest points to tempt us and... Evidently, what was happening was the men, uh, the children of Israel, it appears, were going after the daughters of Moab. And they were probably beautiful women, but they were getting corrupted. They were getting invited to some of their religious ceremonies. And pretty soon, they're eating their food that's offered to idols and bowing down to their idols and things like that. So it, it got really bad. There was even some of the chiefs of the people, of the children of Israel, were doing this. And it got so bad that Moses and the priests and elders were all convened at the Tent of Meeting. And if you remember, the Tent of Meeting was set aside outside of the camp. And that was where people were supposed to go to meet with God. So when they wanted to meet with God, they would go out there. And and so, and so, when Moses would go out there, when, when Moses' Moses's face would start to shine, he would go out there because he knew God wanted to meet with him and the people would just stand in awe. You know, they'd be standing at, at their tents, at their at their doors, at their tents, and they would just watch Moses as he walks to this tent of meeting to meet with God. So it was a real intense time. Um, you know, it's just symbolic of, you know, well, it's, it's not even symbolic. It's God meeting with the people, just like he met on with Moses on the mountain and they couldn't even get near the, mountain or they would perish so this was a big thing so here the the this um worship and and all the stuff going on with the with the daughters of moab and all their religious ceremonies and everything was getting so bad that they the moses and the priests were meeting at this tent to to go to god and to ask him and and get atonement for all this. And as they were doing that, a man, which sounds like he was one of the one of the chiefs himself of the children of Israel, came with a daughter of Moab, who herself was a daughter of a chief. So this is high up. This is this corruption goes way up. And he br- brings her right in their sight, right in the presence, goes right by them. <laughs> and um, that was too much for. Um Aaron's grandson Phineas, and he just just gets filled with this this indignation and goes over there and um puts a sword through both of them, the man and the woman that he had with him and it says that at that God's anger was assuaged and then and then it says twenty four thousand died of the plague, so does this incident sound familiar? It sounds really. Close to what happened with the golden calf incident. I mean, in there, you remember that they were they had the golden calf, and then Moses came down from the mountain and he called the Levites to his side. He said, "Who's on the God's side?" And the Levites all came to him, and then they all took their swords and went out and just slew their brother. And there was three thousand men that were slain that time. And then it says that the Lord plagued the people. So here we have the same thing. Here we have twenty four thousand people dying of the plague. We have Phineas killing this man and woman. And then the, n- with the golden calf, there was 3,000 men that were slain. But then it says the Lord plagued the people. So um, this is, I think you would call this the unpardonable sin. Although I don't like to say that, but because a lot of people question about what that really is. But if you're blatantly basically not choosing not choosing God you're choosing to worship other gods and you're doing it right there right when God is coming down and meeting with you and and wanting to form this covenant I mean it's like cheating on your fiance when you're right driving to the marriage or something and it's just it's just a really really bad thing and I mean what can you do at that stage when people are just blatantly disregarding the Lord and his and his proposal and it also shows that sin sullies those that are around it because you know just like the Levites had to go out and slay all the people and then they were you know they had to slay the people I mean Phinehas had to slay and it's not a small thing in fact God said what he did because he kind of dissipated God's wrath or he kind of did God's work for him. And so he says that he's going to have a, un- um, a continuous priesthood. So that was going to be his reward for what he had done. Because what happens is when people sin, it doesn't just affect them. It affects others around them. And that's why the children of Israel, that's why Moses had to go and ask for forgiveness and atonement from God for the children of Israel. He wasn't asking on behalf of the people that were slayed. They were already dead. The the people that the Levites killed, they were already dead. He was asking on behalf of the rest of the people. And I'm sure there was people in there that didn't bow down to the golden calf or whatnot, but they still were part of this group that gets sullied by this. And so you can see how God doesn't he can't tolerate and it's when something is unclean it can I mean it's just like if you unintentionally touch a dead body you become unclean even though you didn't intend to do it so it really is a matter of sin just infecting others and God having to take care of that problem and it, it sounds harsh but then when you realize that God just can't exist I mean if he doesn't do this if he doesn't purge the camp or he doesn't cleanse the people and and forgive them and relent of what he's doing then he can't meet with them so um and you know the he, i mean it's God just can't dwell in the presence of evil and last last week's gems if you remember about the stranger One thing that I didn't mention in that one is that there's really just two categories. The reason why there's no such thing as stranger within your gates, that we should treat them all the same, is because God really only has two categories. He has people who are following him, that want to enter into covenant relationship with him, and he has those who do not. And there's no other real distinctions. With man, there's no distinctions. God doesn't care if you're rich or poor or this color or that he's just looking at do you want to follow him or do you not and you know there's like the clean and the unclean there's no mixture of that so in the case of the Baal Peor there were those that were destroyed and there were those that were alive they weren't partially dead or partially alive it says for the Lord your God destroyed all the men who followed the Baal Peor but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today So there's just two groups there. And what does that hold fast mean? Well, that's in Tuesday's lesson where it says cleave to the Lord your God. So some translations say hold fast and some say cleave to the Lord. And the lesson brings this out that this is the same word, the same Hebrew word when it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So it's uh, it's really fitting for this you know, talk about the covenant type relationship because that's what it really is. It's it's joining as one is is, cleaving to them, like attaching yourself and not wanting to ever part. It's giving all of us, all of ourselves to God and receiving life from him. The lesson says power from him, but, you know, I'd like to think of it more as like a vital energy or, m- or motivation or inspiration is coming from God. He's directing our path, and he's showing us the way. So we're connecting into him. We're being grafted into that vine and 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 getting the nutrients from it. Um, you know, because I think of like Deuteronomy 6, 5, where it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's what I think when it says to cleave to the Lord. And there's even a better text. There's a better text in Deuteronomy thirteen four. And this one's really interesting because listen to all these different aspects that it talks about. It says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. So look at all these things that are trying to describe this cleaving. It's walk after him. So go forward and following in his footsteps. And then it says to fear him. So we went through that before. Where it's reverence, awe, and, and admiration, and like emotional respect. This is reverencing God as as God. And then it's keep His commandments. That that word is mitzvah, and that word keep is like cherish or guard or make a protective hedge around. So you're really paying attention to what He's saying, and then obey His voice, which is that shama kol. The hearken to what God says, to, to pay attention and to obey and to do and to implement. So it's not just a hearing, but it's really a a hearing with an intent to to hearken to it. And then the last one is to serve him. Well, that's, no, this, that's the second one, to serve him. So to be in bondage to him or to be subject to his will. I mean, Leviticus 24, 55, it says, For the children of Israel are servants to me, they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. That's when it was talking about the Jubilee and it's saying you shouldn't keep these, you know, if 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 you have to keep them beyond their time of release, well, you at least have to release them in the year of Jubilee because, because these children of Israel are servants to me only. They're not anyone else's servants. So that's what it means by serve him and then hold fast to him or cleave to him. And that's what, you know, clinging or joining or, you know, I think of Ruth and Naomi. Um, so or 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 newly wedded couples that just don't wanna be apart ever. And so you just and and people that have been together for a long time that don't want to ever be apart. I mean it's it's really um that's what it means to me when it says to cleave to the Lord your God, to walk after the Lord your God, to fear him, to keep his commandments, to obey his voice to serve him and hold fast to him. Um, And then going on to Wednesday, for what nation is there so great? And that is coming from Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules that you should keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So I think of this as getting close to God is going to allow him to speak to us. And if we do what he says, others are going to see that, you know, that what God is telling us leads to life. I mean, they're going to be drawn to God too. And I think that's the whole goal, that God wants to draw all men to himself. And, you know, what a contrast it is to today. Um... You know, for professed followers of God who just want to extract out a few items that God told Moses and just want to dismiss the rest. I mean, if if we really trust in him and we're going to see that the things that he has in the Bible, even things that we might not understand why it's in there, but it's going to be proven true. And we've already seen things, be proven true and so we if we don't see certain things at least we can rest on the faith that that you know that they're in there for a reason I mean I've seen pastors even high up in leadership and stuff in the church who have spoken from the pulpit and dismissed some of the statutes and judgments they, they say oh they're just antiquated or that was discriminatory against women or something and I think that's really um that that's really dangerous I think to just dismiss these things that God had said just because we don't understand them or we misinterpret them because we are the ones we are the living ones that can bring life to what God says and show others that by living by what God says we can be example to others. You know, I think of I think of the Vegetarians in Loma Linda, and when they did the Adventist Health Study One, and you know, they found out that the Adventists were like one of the longest living groups of people. If you're looking at groups, um, they're one of the longest living groups in the world, and I think that brought a lot of attention to the world stage. Is like, what are these Adventists doing to live long? You know, who doesn't want to live a long, healthy life, and so you know, they started asking questions like, well, you know, what kind of diet are they eating? And, you know, what, where did they get that from? And unfortunately, of course, with health study two is probably going to prove the opposite because when people started to look into the Adventists and see, oh, you know, these Adventists were going to church and they were, um, they had family and God as importance in their life and they were also eating a plant-based diet and nuts and and lots of good vegetables and things. But I think then they saw that, oh, but now the Adventists are kind of abandoned a lot of that, and they're not living as long. And so, you know, it's it's actually, in that case, it's like a, it's a negative witnessing. And I think that's what could happen with the children of Israel, or what did happen to them, um, or could happen without God, is that if they are, professed people following God but then they're really not following God but the outside world doesn't really know that but they just see oh they're following God oh look what's happening to them then they could get a negative impression and that's what Moses was worried about when he said to God you know don't destroy these people because you know in the eyes of the Egyptians you know we came out to worship our God and it's going to make you look bad and so I think we have to be careful about that. And I think if we do follow what God says, and he's going to teach us so much more, but we can at least follow the things that he has has given to us and the knowledge that he's shown us, that we will be living examples to others. And I think the thing that we have to remember is that God is the one that loved first. And, and he didn't love us just because You know, there's something intrinsic in us. So this whole title of this, what nation is there so great? Well, it just reminds me of Deuteronomy 7, 7, where it says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. So God is the one who who gives us the opportunity to enter into covenant with him first. He loves us first. And then he asks us, so it's not like the children of Israel were not some great nation. They just had a great God. And Thursday's lesson talks about your wisdom and your understanding. So that goes along with that text we just read. Deuteronomy 4, 6. Keep them and do them for that they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, the lesson says that the statutes and judgments themselves were not what what contained the wisdom and understanding, but it was wisdom and understanding came from their keeping the statutes and judgments, from their obeying them, so that the obedience was their wisdom and understanding. And I'm not sure I exactly understand that because... I think of it as God was their wisdom and their understanding, not necessarily their obedience. Um, but it is true that the relationship comes first. I mean, the agreement to enter into the covenant then is followed by the listening, the Shema Kol. Um, but I think, like it says in Psalms 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do. So the fear of the Lord comes first. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wi- of wisdom. And then it says a good understanding have all those who do. So the first is the fear, the reverence, the awe of God, the respect, the entering into the covenant, and then the doing afterwards. So the, in, that, in other words, the works come after the faith. And their outward acts, though, whether... They got the instruction directly from God or through Moses. Um, it is their outward acts, though, is what other people see. Other people see our outward acts, and that is what can show others that God's law is, is good and right and that God is to be loved and trusted, and that he knows what's best, and he can give us life, and he can give or give us a good life here. But that's just a token of the better life that he has in mind for us in his kingdom. And I like that quote that was in the lesson, Christ Objects lesson, page 288, where it says, their obedience to the law of God would make them marvels of prosperity before the nations of the world. He who could give them wisdom and skill in all cunning work would continue to be their teacher and would ennoble and elevate them through obedience to his laws. If obedient, they would be preserved from the diseases that afflicted other nations and would be blessed with vigor of intellect. The glory of God, his majesty and power were to be revealed in all their prosperity. They were to be a kingdom of priests and princes. God furnished them with every facility for being the greatest nation on the earth. And I mean, do we think that following God's instructions today can bring the same I think so. I mean, I think Satan's biggest victory is just in getting people to dismiss what God has instructed man in the past and, and to such a point that they can't even hear what he's instructing them today. So I think that following God does bring blessing, but really the following comes after the faith. It comes after our desire for him and our desire to enter into a covenant relationship with him, a close relationship where we can hear him. So I guess just to wrap up in summary, the the children of Israel were great because God chose them. He chose them first, and he chose to offer them the covenant, which he is offering us today. And then he instructs them. Then when we hear him and we listen to him, then he instructs, instructs us into wisdom and understanding and i think we should the second point that we made is that we should be careful not to dismiss what god has relayed to moses on the mountain i mean every syllable that he even uttered i think is important but also not to change or distort it because that may be even worse and i guess the other thing that was brought out in this lesson is just are we cleaving to the lord are we loving him with all our heart and all our soul and strength and never wanting to let go and i think that's what entering a covenant relationship is like i mean that's what that's what a marriage relationship is like anyway you don't you don't you go into it with the intention never to part and If we enter this covenant and allow God to speak his laws to us and write them on our innermost being in our heart, and I think that we can't help but be good witnesses to others. I mean, even those who don't choose God or his kingdom, I mean, they can still fear and tremble. I think they can still acknowledge and see that God's ways are right. That, oh, you know, if you follow God, that he is A loving God and that he intends to teach us how to be free of diseases and all these problems that we have and even if we still have the problems because there's still going to be sin and still sin's still going to affect other people but he wants to give us his promises for his better a better life and a life in his kingdom as he intended it. So that's this week's Gems. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will talk again next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sabbath School Gems. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, give us a rating, and spread the word to others. Comments and questions can be sent to us at sabbathschoolgems at gmail.com. Bye for now.